0: This is the first Sunday after Christmas, and it affords the opportunity to reinforce some of the the Christmas themes that I always talk about, and I want to preach both on the affirmations that I mention every Christmas Eve and Christmas, to say something about the two readings, or the three readings we read today uh, in this cycle from uh, Genesis, from Galatians and from the Johannine Prologue, which is the fancy way of saying the introduction to, to John's Gospel. Although if you say the Johannine Prologue, uh, you may impress people. <laughs> so you may, may want to keep that on ice, you know, the Johannine Prologue. Christmas time uh, is the time when we affirm some things, or at least I think so, that are important for the rest of the year. I mentioned this, by the way, there are two cycles in the Christian year, Lent, Easter, Pentecost, and Advent, Christmas, Epiphany. And Advent, Christmas, Epiphany were later in their development than Lent, Easter, and Pentecost. So in in the year, we kind of do it backwards. We do the second cycle first, and the first cycle last. And uh, in Christmas, we celebrate the presence of Christ to the church a very brief season christmas itself it's christmas maybe one sunday after christmas or two at the most and then bang we're in epiphany so christmas is about the presence of christ to the church the gift of christ to the church and epiphany is about the manifestation of christ to the world and the universal significance of the birth of jesus christ and how we make that real uh, as the people of god So the four affirmations are these. You've heard them a number of times. The first is the goodness of our humanity. The second is that it is possible for all of us to fulfill the highest of our human potential. The third is that it is possible for Christian people to be joyful. And the fourth one is that Christian people are to be about peace. We are to be ambassadors for peace. Remember, Paul, one of my favorite passages in the New Testament is from 2 Corinthians. Paul says, we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. He has no other way to do that. So we need to be the ambassadors of peace uh, in the world. And it's clear from the biblical evidence and from other information that scholars have gathered that Jesus head headed if it's possible to say this, sort of the peace wing uh, of Judaism in his, own, in his own day. So that's very important. So when we say that we affirm the goodness of our humanity, it means we take seriously in the creation story in Genesis that God made us and called us good, made the creation and called us good, but that we are part of that creation and have been called good. And in our relationships, one with another, uh, we affirm that goodness. Or should, that's the default position. I told you this not too long ago when I was in Sausalito for a number of years as the Rector of Christ Church, Sausalito, I went to hear a talk at, in Marin City in the, in the uh, auditorium there, the public auditorium. And it was given by Desmond Tutu, the Archbishop of Cape Town. And um, back when he gave the speech, apartheid was still in place in South Africa, so I think everybody expected to hear from him about this whole question. And instead, he spent the entire time uh, talking to us about our goodness and about how humanity uh, uh, was created and called good. And he said, from the tradition out of which I come, if you bow or genuflect before the Blessed Sacrament, we ought to bow or genuflect before one another because that's part of the promise of God. So I always think about that when I think about the goodness of our humanity. We are necessary for, to fulfill God's plan for the cosmos. And remember, one of the definitions of the word cosmos is ornament. So I like to think this time of year uh, about how each one of us uh, is one of God's ornaments. Unconditionally loved, accepted, and forgiven. I had a conversation with a parishioner a few years ago who mentioned to me his parents had died uh, fairly recently, and he said, I just think of them uh, in God's space like an ornament. You know, I look at and I think about them as a as an ornament, safe in God's space. So we affirm the goodness of our humanity. When we speak about the fulfillment of our human potential, we, may, we, we mean that we have been made for a purpose and that we're not speaking about fulfilling our potential merely in terms of our religious inclinations or our spiritual yearnings, but those are very important, but also in even the ordinary and commonplace activities of our lives on a daily basis. And that means the pursuit of excellence in your vocations, in your relationships, and in uh, trying to achieve greater clarity uh, about God's purposes for you as you live. And the affirmation, because of the incarnation during Christmas, is that that is possible. We are able to do that. The third affirmation, and I mentioned also uh, a couple of weeks ago, you know, this, this year has been pretty tough when we say it's possible to be joyful Uh, Some might find this difficult because things have occurred in this country which are hardly joyful, and uh, maintaining some sense of joy in the midst of that is hard. But the definition of joy for the Christian person is that the ambiguities, the uncertainties, the conundrums uh, of life can and will come into surer and clearer focus as you live and seek to center yourself in God, as you touch the divine presence, St. Athanasius of Alexandria said, God became man that we might become God. But Father Thomas Keating, sort of paraphrasing Athanasius, said, we are not God, but our true self is God. So when we know that, it is possible to be joyful, to have confidence that the future will be something that is brighter than now, if that is uh, possible to say and that we can be joyful and ought to be advocates for a joyful outlook on uh, things generally. Finally, when we speak of the fourth affirmation, which is that we should be, peop- uh, be a people that are about peace, it means that we, we're not talking about this, this is very good, peace on earth that's hanging up over here, that we ought to keep for a, a, a time up there. That's what we're for. But when we say that, we don't mean merely the absence of war. That's not what peace is. Peace for Christian people and and generally both an interior aspect, personally, subjectively, and also a corporate aspect. And certainly when Jesus spoke of peace, he said it in, in Aramaic Hebrew, Shalom. It's a much more powerful concept than peace which uh, doesn't have a whole depth of meaning, I looked up uh, in a Hebrew dictionary uh, some translations of, of shalom. Completeness, wholeness, health, peace, welfare, safety, soundness, tranquility, prosperity, perfectness, fullness, rest, harmony, the absence of agitation or discourse discord so think about that in external terms the way human beings relate to one another if we could be uh, uh, people who bring the shalom of God to the world that would be a wonderful thing and think if through your prayer and your centeredness and in your um, clarity of thinking you can bring that kind of peace to your interior emotional spiritual and mental states you can uh, push the demons to the side and that you're able in some way to uh, focus better and to feel some sense of serenity and calm, remaining non-anxious in the teeth of the anxiety and reactivity of other people, you know, how you, how you do that. Have you ever been around, there's some people that when things get tough, it's true in families, they're like an electric transformer. The, 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 the thing starts getting talked about and the energy just ratchets itself up to, like, it, it amps up, right? And everybody all of a sudden... Somebody said to me years ago, you know, Father Brewer, when you get nervous, everybody else gets nervous. <laughs> Before services and everything. So think about that when you, when you begin to think about how uh, you, you have some effect on uh, bringing some sense of serenity to others. So let's look at the readings. Genesis 61. This is in the biblical scholarship area, Third Isaiah, Trito Isaiah. And it's it's a psalm. And it's a psalm that's giving thanks for the return from exile. And it is giving thanks for the return... For the possibility to rebuild the city and the temple will be rebuilt. And the possibility to recreate now the community uh, where they're from. But it's also a psalm that says, We have learned from the mistakes of the past. And we intend now not to do those things anymore. We're certainly going to try. And so the hopeful, joyful aspect of this particular psalm in Isaiah is that this now can be possible, and we're thanking God for the opportunity for another chance, and one of the things certainly that Christian people believe is is that there's always another chance. Everybody has another chance as you've gone off the rails. So this is giving thanks for that possibility. Galatians, when we read it, could sound uh, for many of us to be another one of these turgid pieces of reasoning that Paul goes through. So I'm going to try to explain it. Sometimes I just plain don't get into it, you know what I mean? But here's what he says at the beginning Before Jesus came, before Christ, we had to have a caretaker. And he says the caretaker was the law. That kept everybody square in some ways. If you read it in Greek, it says a pedagogos, which was a slave, a household slave, who had charge of the children and walked them to school and looked after them generally we've heard Pentecost before we've heard that word so that's the origin of the word so that's how Paul is explaining it to the readership and the Galatian churches and so he says that is what was necessary in his view and he's obviously coming from a Jewish perspective and a pious Jewish perspective And he believes that that was the case. But, since Christ, we no longer need the pedagogos. The pedagogos is not necessary. And here's the big news. The big news is that this message is not just for the Jews. It's for the Gentiles too, who never had the law. And so he's speaking now of a sort of universal leveling process that the love of God in Christ Jesus is imparted to the world. How do we make that manifest in symbolic terms in our community life? We do it through the sacrament of baptism. And through the sacrament of baptism, there is no Jew or Greek, there is no slave or free, there is no male or female. Those things have been now removed So it's the starting point for uh, an understanding of um, inclusion and why that's very important. So part of the four affirmations always need to be understood in light of their universal application. And a word always to the church that we haven't done that always, but just like in Isaiah, we have now the opportunity to learn from the mistakes of the past and to do things together. So in the Johannine Prologue, we have, uh, we read this every year. We read it on Christmas Day, part of it, and then we read the whole uh, uh, on uh, the first Sunday after Christmas from John's Gospel. Some people believe, biblical scholars, that this introduction was originally about John the Baptist since he's mentioned in John the Baptist. One of the embarrassments that early Christianity had to contend with, in my own opinion, also an affirmation of the truth of the scriptures, is that the church did not avoid including this information in its written, written account because it was clearly an embarrassment to have to talk about this. But it makes very clear that uh, John the Baptist isn't the Messiah. You know, there's still a, a group of people in the, the, the uh, Middle East who believe that John the Baptist was the Messiah. They're called the Mandeans. And there's still a group of them who live uh, in, in the Middle East and who believe that. So clearly, it was believed by a number of people that he was. But now, the author of John's Gospel following in this scholarly thread uh, has rewritten this in a, in a way to make Jesus the Messiah and not John the Baptist. I don't know whether that should be uh, gone into too elaborately. It at least was what I was taught, but there's new information now. So, uh, but I felt duty-bound to say it in any case. What, what is being said there is that the Johannine prologue is sort of the template because it speaks about who Jesus is, that Jesus is the template, that we lay over our own spiritual life and maturity and development. And he refers to Jesus as the Logos, the Word. But just like Shalom, Logos is is a rich term. It can mean thought, speech, account, meaning, reason, proportion, standard. And my favorite is the organizing principle. So think about the Logos as Christian people, that Jesus in his humanity is the organizing principle for how we understand what kind of human beings we're called to be. Father Keating says, This process involved Jesus assuming the actual human condition in its entirety, including the instinctual needs of human nature and the cultural conditioning of his time. But he also introduced into the entire human family the principle of transcendence, giving the evolutionary process a decisive thrust toward God consciousness. In other words, the ability now to see that there's sometimes the still small voice that we know is not our own, the spirit of God is present in all people, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen them, that we now have become conscious of this reality and through his words and through his works, Christian people have said, I see this now more clearly than I used to. Jesus has joined the human family and has not just subjected himself to the consequences of the flesh, but also introduced the principle of redemption from all of the pre-rational programs for happiness that center around security and survival, affection and esteem and power and control. We talk about this all the time. So he has given us a way to uh, have healthy views and a healthy balance with all those things. Security and survival, affection and esteem, power and control, they're all necessary in human life and interaction. You can't get rid of them. You can't not do them. You've got to learn how to handle them. They're always here. And usually most of us get into the greatest hot water when we're monkeying around in those areas, and we simply can't avoid it. It's part of our hard wiring. So we need to know something about what it is that we do in that regard. So this week, give thanks for the relationship that exists between you and God and Christ. And give thanks for the fact that um, you have a test that you can use from time to time through the year. And that's open the prayer book up to the baptismal liturgy and read uh, the baptismal promises. And you can see whether or not... uh, you're uh, moving forward or not you know sometimes it's like moving forward and two steps back sometimes it's three steps ahead you know how that works but it's a process and everybody who saw Jesus and heard Jesus said if a human being if God were walking around on the earth this is who we'd be like but more to the point we can do this too and that's what he taught us it wasn't some remote thing from us It was inside of us. And Christmas tells us it is inside and we can touch it and act on it. Amen.